The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. Hey everyone, I am Maca19 and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live once again on Port Fan Radio, a fan-driven online radio station dedicated to the Port Adelaide Footy Club. Back this week from his jaunt interstate, we've got Fishing Rick. How are you, buddy? Mate, I'm tanned, relaxed, the water was clear, perfect, and it's great to see that Pittard Nation is taking over the globe. It's just uh, almost bringing a tear to my eye. This is this is bigger than Lynn Sanity. Oh, so it Pittard Nation is just amazing. I, I told you all the way along when all the doubters were around. He is the halfback flanker that we uh, we needed to have, and uh, and he's delivering. But I'll take it further. I've noticed something else this week, uh, which I haven't noticed before. So I think it, Pittard Nation is actually expanding. No, it is definitely is. It is. It is. It's massive. And look, back on the podcast again, we haven't spoken to her for a while, it's the return of Portia. Hello. Hi. Hi. We going well? Well, yeah. Uh, I just, one thing in regards to the Pittard Nation, I was a little confused because I was at the game on um, Saturday and I thought that was Adam Kingsley the way he was playing. He was actually pretty precise and deliberate with what he was doing. So, was that Pittard? Come on. You can't Are even you really? <laughs> that is disgraceful. No offence to Adam, but he is far, far inferior to Jasper Pittard. I can't believe oh, you're oh, even... come so on. Adam Kingsley's what... got, uh, what is it, the pre-season? Michael Tuck medal, you know. You, you can't knock that. He's got an edge on Pittard so far. Mate, you're trying to be controversial from the start, Portia. Stop talking. Okay. I can't believe what I'm hearing here. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Outrageous. I, I didn't see one handball over the head or blind kick or any bomb scare moments. That's and true. What about, That's what, I did say Adam Kingsley did play a good game, so, you know. And what about the spoiling? I mean, the spoiling was just amazing. He, he hardly ever got out, out positioned by his opponent and won the one-on-one contests, and he was the nullifier. Maybe that will need to be his new name. Oh, look, I think that he did really well, but there was that one moment in the last quarter, which I think everyone's seen on the highlights, where he, what did he do? He completely stuffed it, trying to play on, and better than he did tackle and got it back off Lindsay Thomas, wasn't it? That yes. little play in the last quarter. Yeah, well, come on. I mean, he got it back. That's great. But he still had to have that moment where you just go, what were you thinking? But he did redeem it instantly, so that's okay. That's why it was a really good game. It was, it was fast followed by fantastic. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was the full roller coaster. It was absolutely yeah. It was a Pittard moment. Let's face it. If I think in you know ten years time, if we wanted to find Pittard's play style, you'd probably just look at that highlight and go, yeah, that's Pittard. You know, yep. scare everyone. I'd agree with turn that. Turn out okay. That's it. Well, look. Uh, let's um, let's do our love and hate for this week. Uh, Rick, do you want to give us your love and hate, mate? Yes, buddy. I um, I loved the hard hit of Alipati. Mm. I uh, I thought the physicality of the the, the contest overall um, was fantastic by both teams and especially our boys. And uh, I just think the players probably aren't appreciating it. But the first three weeks, the physicality has just been huge in all the games, and our boys are now men and mature enough to be able to withstand. 
the battles of the body contact and uh, are actually now starting to win some of those battles and I reckon it's fantastic. Uh, I totally agree with that. I thought that Alipati played a really good game, but I think what really stood out for me with the defence this game is that we had a lot of good individual contributors, but it wasn't there wasn't one player that you'd say, oh, look, everyone's, everything's being set up for him. Um, and so I, I don't think anyone in the defence played badly at all. It was really a fantastic game across the board. Um, I was quite impressed, actually. Yeah. But yeah. uh, Alipati's physicality was certainly a feature. Um, I think yeah. there could have been more physicality across the board, but it was still pretty good. And what did you what did you guys think of that actual hit? Was it on uh, White? Huge, uh, right? Yeah, right. Sam Wright. Yeah, it was massive. I loved it. I've been waiting. Yeah. I've been itching for Bobby to do something like that for about what seven years now, and yeah. he finally did, and he delivered. It was huge. It's a it's a shame he's not Samoan because we could have called it the Samoan Crunch. But um, yeah, I'm with you. It was it was a good thing that. And I would have been appalled if he got suspended because it was just a fair collision by both players going hard at the ball. And, and that's what I mean. You've got to take your hat off to the North Melbourne players too because I tell you what, they were, they were pretty fierce at the, the contest. There was, no, there was no shirking by either team every night. And I think that's going to put our players in good stead for the uh, upcoming weeks though because you know, if we can get through this tough period um, and patch that we've experienced, we're going to... Come out better for it. Excuse my uh, phone. I'll just mute that right now. I'm not, I'm not cracking uh, beer bottles. I Are promise. you sure? I promise. <laughs> and my hate is I'm depressed that Ollie Wines got injured because oh. I actually um, I actually thought that he was superhuman, and yeah. uh, there was no. He's just crushed my faith that their actual superheroes do exist because he was like Superman, this kid. Came in, AFL level from the start, dominated, um, looked impenetrable to physical contact. He was just amazing and uh, now he's got this little dislocated bone in his, uh, in his wrist. I, uh, very unlucky and we're going to miss him greatly. No doubt. Yeah, yeah Oh, huge out. And look, I thought he would uh, play till he was 41 and play 475 games straight without missing a game, to be honest. But, you know, it's a very sad day. But, look, he'll be back and uh, bigger and stronger than ever. That's for sure. Yeah, hope so. Uh, Portia, what about your love and hate this week? Uh, I guess my love is that, I suppose, for the first time, I joined not the uh, not the Pittard bandwagon, but the Broadbent bandwagon, which is the one I haven't def- definitely haven't been on in the past. I've usually been thinking, yeah, he's all right, but not what everyone's made him out to be. But I thought this game in the first half, he was sensational. He was exactly where he needed to be. And, you know, when I watch football, I try and look out for the, the key players. And every time I saw a key player in that quarter, the first quarter particularly, Broadbent was there and he was just the crucial difference. It was really astounding uh, football from him. Um, really loved seeing that. And uh, But again, that comes down to being part of a fantastic defence. Um, if I can have another lump, it was just basically the form of Nathan Cracker on his return to the side. Um, reminded me, we had those first, when he originally started with Port Adelaide, we had those first 10 games that Cracker played and they were really good because he just ran and ran and ran and ran and he was just super accountable. He got tired and he never really found that same touch after that first run. Um, but we've seen it again. He's back and he's matured and he's wiser, but he's still got that run and he's still got that tenacity, which I really loved seeing. So I've got two two loves this week, and I suppose this is the sort of game that you can really justify that. Um, it was a really good result. You you sort of stole my thunder there a little bit, Portia, because I was actually going to say that 
um, Jasper and Brody have become sort of the dynamic duo of the Port Adelaide backlines, haven't they? They're, they're sort of countering each other. When one person gets blanketed a little bit with the defensive lockdown forward, the other one's providing the run and carry, and, and then they seem to be swapping that role perfectly, which is great for us. And, and I agree, Broadbent's first quarter was amazing. He was best on ground in that first quarter. Yeah, and I'd also just add, I agree with you, Rick, and it's also it's really important for us because what I was thinking about in relation to Pittard was that with there's been comparisons between the role that we sort of foresaw Pittard eventually playing being like the Peter Burgoyne in defence role, but the main flaw of the Peter Burgoyne in defence role is that we only had one of him. We didn't have anyone else that we could rely on to be about as good at clearing the ball from defence, and so we became extremely dependent, which meant that when he was shut down, we lost games, we looked terrible. Because we have... Pittard and Broadbench actually sharing the duties, not one dominant and one lesser, but they're actually pretty much on the same level. That is hugely important for us because that gives us two really good attacking options which can who can be on either flank or doubling up occasionally and it makes it much, much harder for defences to counter us when we're on the rebound. It's a really good setup for us if we can keep that going and they both keep form. Mm. Yeah, good call. I like that. Yeah, um, as far as hate... Um, this is, I really don't feel great about saying this one, um, but because he's been a really great player. Um, Chad Wingard, he's, you can see he's got a knee injury. He's, you can see he's not ready to play. And I've been thinking about this a bit too much probably. So I'll just explain what I'm thinking here. So uh, a number of times this weekend we saw Chad Wingard approach a contest and you sort of think, oh, it's Chad Wingard. He's, he's going to leap up at the back of the pack, but he didn't get off the ground. Or, oh, he's going to do this, and he just didn't have the agility to do it because his leg's stuffed. Um, and I kind of wonder if it's a moment that, like, people go through in their careers, footballers go through in their careers, where they are injured briefly and they have to learn how to play football without an exceptional talent, which there are any number of players in the AFL that have to learn how to do that. I mean, you know, Tom Logan is a classic example of that. He had to learn to still be useful even when he doesn't have a, a special trick up his sleeve. And I really mm. feel that we could see with Chang Widgard, he's so reliant on his tricks... Um, and he's so used to having ready access to them that when he doesn't, he just really struggles and he's not hes not learnt how to not use them. And, uh, yeah, so I was a little bit... I was disappointed in his game but understanding of it and um, it kind of reminded me of Stuart Jew back in the day when he was... Uh, in back 2001 when he was pretty much given free reign to do what he wanted and he was kicking long kicks all the time. It was really great. But then he was sort of put in defence a bit more and, you know, we started not seeing the long kick so much. But that was really good because it taught him to develop other weapons like your accuracy, not just length and um, how to play differently. Or someone like Sean Bergon starting the back line. And I think we're seeing that a little bit with Chad Wingard and it's sort of why he's being stuck up forward so much. But I don't know. I, it's a lesson he needs to learn and this is right now that he's learning it. But I was a little bit disappointed in some respects because... I don't know, I guess I had too big a, uh, too high an image for Chad Wingard as being like the supermensch sort of thing, or the ubermensch, isn't it, um, sort of player. That, that, that was really the closest I came to I hate, um, apart from being elbowed in the side by an angry North Melbourne supporter on the way to the trains, but that was all. <laughs> I'm going um, to challenge you on that one, though, Portia, because okay. um, I, in the beginning I thought, yeah, maybe Chad's injured, something's not right, Um but as the game wore on, if, and I've noticed this with Chad for the first three rounds, if you look at his intensity at the contest and at the man at the contest, it's right up there. And his forward pressure oh, yeah. has been 
And his forward pressure has been excellent. So I think what's happening is they're, they're maybe keeping him out of the play more from an injury uh, management perspective more so than he's Could be. injured. Um, because when you do watch him off the ball, he, he's definitely working hard and look to me, he looks 100% fit and he's chasing really hard. I just think he's been kept out of the play maybe a little bit too much at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, for me, the, the flaws are so not certainly not with his play off the ball because he's you know pretty uh, persistent. But he just he was missing a little something and he didn't have the leap. Uh, that was yeah. that was really the the main absence I think. And he, he's pretty blind on that. Mm. There's no doubt um, he's not at his peak, but uh, I still thought he was pretty valuable out there on Saturday. Yeah, but in a side that played as well as that, I actually. I guess this is one of the few times I would actually say that Chad Winnegan was probably in the bottom half of players. Um, mm. It's not often I'd say that, but I would comfortably say that this week. Mm. That's fair enough. Look, my love this week is, um, look, quite simply, it's got to be winning a close one against our bogey team at our bogey ground. We've only beaten <laughs> North Melbourne seven times in, uh, in history. Um, and I think we've only won something like four or five out of our last 30 games at uh, Etihad Stadium as well. So... I know it was just a nice bit of karma parmigiana after some recent results against them away from home. Um, you know, first time we've beaten them away from home since 2008. We had that ridiculous um, free kick game um, in Tassie a couple of years ago. You know, last year we were pretty unlucky with players pulling their hamstring, running into an open goal, and you know it was just great to get one over North. I think. Uh, I totally agree. Um, I think that at the game there was very much a feeling, I think even among among the Port fans and the North fans, that this game was very much off script for what we've all seen previously. Um, the number of calls for like oh, 50 metres and the number of legitimate free kicks that we actually got paid. Like to people like Jay Schultz, who never gets free kicks paid for him, he's suddenly getting free kicks left, right and centre. It was just astounding to see, I don't know, umpiring for some reason being on our side and that gave this game an extra edge because I'm just not used to seeing that, you know, um, and you always expect it to turn the wrong way, but it didn't. It was actually pretty solid across the board. We actually had a couple of gimmies, if anything, but then again, so did North Melbourne. But you could just sense that they were, th- they were expecting, I don't know, they were hoping, they were expecting for an umpire to get them back in the game in the crowd. Anyway, they were expecting it, and it was just really amazing that it didn't happen. So I don't know if it's that we were cleaner than usual or if we just got lucky with a early season interpretation on a fast ground. I'm not sure. But uh, either way, it was um, that aspect was certainly interesting. But, yeah, beating North Melbourne is absolutely fantastic. Um, I hope it happens again in my lifetime. It was awesome. <laughs> Who cares? I don't care if we got a good ride with the umpires. We do a good ride with the umpires. And I don't think it was a good ride with the umpires anyway. I think it was about uh, even Stevens. But, um, I thought it was yeah, pretty but, even, yeah. For Port, yeah. that's a good ride, though, like to actually get paid oh, yeah. the free kicks that are there. That's that's pretty good. I'm pretty happy. Unlike, I mean, if that happened every week, I'd be excited. Unlike I mean, you mentioned why, does, um, why doesn't Sh- Jay Schultz get uh, many free kicks? Because this is what happens when he gets three free kicks. Yeah, true. It's, it's bloody yeah. front-page news, Girl. and there's this media furor that he's got a couple of free kicks, which he deserved. Maybe he should change his name to Matty Lloyd or something. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> yeah, well, Tribe's still going on about... Uh, Two years ago, 38-15. Yeah. Never forget. (laughs) (laughs) Look, my hate this week is is the fact that some of our supporters still don't seem to accept um, Kane Mitchell as one of our own. Um, I was absolutely stoked that he kicked the sealer um, on Saturday night. And I thought he had a very accomplished game out there. You know, he he shut down Gibson. um, You know, had a big part to play in that last quarter, I thought. 
Um, I'm not sure where the criticisms came from. Um, all I can think of is people blaming him for some of Thomas's goals in the last quarter. But when you watch the replay, he was only covering for a couple of his teammates who decided to go ball watching um, and, and tried his best to, to cover Thomas, but just couldn't do it. I mean, as I said on the forum, I mean, I think, uh, you know, a back pocket's probably the last place I'd expect to see Kane Mitchell. Um, but, you know, for him to, to kick the winner or the sealer, um, I thought it was a fantastic story. Uh, look, I'm I'm not the greatest Kane Mitchell fan, but I thought this week he was actually pretty good. You know, he's not an amazing player and he does have his limitations, but we knew that selecting him, so you just accept it, really. Um, I kind of think that when it comes to the former players that uh, people get preconceptions and they, they go by them for the most part, but you really need to be open to people to change because, you know, people change all the time. We, we might not think we do, but we do. Um, and certainly I thought that was a pretty good side, a pretty decent game from Kane Mitchell. I certainly think that the ground and the track suited him. Um, it was pretty much ideal for him to play a pretty fast running game on a uh, nice surface. But um, yeah, you know, for that week, this week he's been really good. Well, obviously I didn't get to see the game live. And so I saw a couple of comments when I got back waiting for bloody AFL Live Pass to upload the game, which took forever. And I on the forum, I... All I saw was Mitchell and Westhoff get smashed, and so I, I watched the game, um, you know, with that view to see how bad they were. But I thought both players actually were pretty, pretty good, and uh, I was quite surprised with the difference between what people were saying and uh, and what I thought was more of uh, reality. I think people just need to accept that um, Mitchell's, you know, he's near our best. 22 you know he's not far off it you know if everyone's fit he's probably what 24th 25th on the list so he's going to get games he's going to get a lot of games because we're never oh. going to have our absolute best 22 out on the park every week he's basically he's just the new tom logan pretty much in his, yeah. his you know you must be this good to play um mm. yeah he's a bit, a bit faster than tommy Maybe not no, I know, but I mean, I mean, sort of in terms of position on the list. In the yeah, you play, yeah, if you're playing Tom Logan, it means that no one else has played well enough to get a game. So deal with mm. it, you know. You know what you're going to get. Yeah, I just reckon yeah. embrace it because you know he's he's a player. It's clear the coaching staff love him. I reckon, um, you know, I reckon he might become a, a player where he becomes almost a bit of a cult hero. Alex Hale tweeted in for you just a while ago, Porsche. How good was Paddy? Apart from his ruck work, his disposal was as good as anyone else going around. Yeah, look, I thought he played. I, I was mostly, I've got to say, I, I had a big focus on the centre square and I think we really suffered for only playing one ruckman in some respects. We got away with it, which is good, but um, around the ground, yeah, he was really solid. And that's, I suppose that's really why we recruited Paddy is because we know he can be an around-the-ground ruckman as well as taking a few taps. So in the ideal situation, if we have Lobby and Ryder, um, then the resting ruckman can still be a valuable contributor to you know rebound and interception and whatever else there might be. So um, when we got Ryder, I don't think we picked him with the intention that he'd be like a, a dominant ruckman that would win every tap. I don't think that was the expectation, but that he'd be good enough and he'd be useful around the ground, which that's what we need. You know, you don't. It's nice. I, I really miss Brendan Laid and Sean Burgo and you know just that wonderful connection they had. But most teams don't have that. Most teams don't. They don't have that that excellent ruck to an excellent midfielder. They Most premiership sides have just got a good ruckman. They don't have an amazing ruckman. They've got a good ruckman, and that's what Ryder is. He's just solid. He's going to be good enough for us to play finals for the next, what, five years will be good enough, and so will Lobby. Um, we don't need a superstar ruckman. If we've got two solid ones that can um, pair up and play off each other, and if we can bring in, um, whatchamacallit, Redden, 
um, as an extra option. Uh, I suppose as more of a pure ruckman when we need him, then that's everything we need as far as rucks, I think. Um, it'd be nice to have an extra because someone always goes out with an E, but, you know. Um, yeah, Ryder did exactly what we recruited him for, I feel, and that was a really good game to see from him. Um, yeah, it was good. And it's good to know that he can rebound like the rest of the Essendon players can. Mm. What do you reckon, I reckon in his short history, that was his best game with us so far. It was great mm. to see. I thought he was a bit underwhelming in the first two rounds, so maybe he was a little bit uh, distracted. And you know, Goldstein was in cracking form, and he really took he really took it up to Goldstein with the fact that at least he made him challenge his ruck work, so he just didn't get clean usage of the of the ruck contest the whole time it, compared to what he had in a few other weeks. Um, yeah. So I was very happy with what he did and. Uh, I, I said last week, Porsche, I think the, the, the thing I've probably taken Loby for granted with is his pressure post-rut work around the contest yeah, where, he's, yep. where he's able to hold the ball in and, and create that extra stoppage for our midfielders. And I think that's where we've really been hurt uh, this year with uh, with Loby going down. And I guess Paddy needs to uh, to get that engine up to be able to at least create that same competitiveness post the ruck tap. I thought the Ryder-Goldstein battle lived up to expectations. I mean, Goldie ended up with more hitouts, but I thought Ryder definitely had a better impact. Um, he was able to jump all over Goldstein. And look, especially at the centre um, stoppages where we've struggled the last two weeks, I think his ability to jump over Goldstein and put him off um, really led to us winning um, a significant amount of those um, centre stoppages, which I thought was fantastic. And whilst Goldie had maybe the better of Ryder around the ground where it was more of a, a wrestle, um, he's obviously mm. a lot uh, a lot stronger. Um, I thought Ryder was a, a huge part, a huge reason why we won that game. Mm. I, I kind of think that in those in the rock jewel, Ryder was primarily acting as a disruptor rather than a gator. So it, it wasn't about making sure that, you know, the ball came to ground or got locked in or something, but just that it didn't go exactly where Goldstein wanted. I think that yeah. if I was putting up, up, up against the same Ruckman, for example, in a hypothetical, I think that Goldstein, and we saw it a bit, Goldstein had more um, more perfect uh, Ruck clearances. So a lot of the time, you know, when he did get it, which was not all the time, but when he did get it, he actually got it directly to a North Melbourne player rather than, you know, Ryder more sort of hitting it towards the ground and it's the Port player being able to take advantage of it. Um, it's a bit of a different situation, I think, there. But I, I think that, yeah, Goldstein was well held in the end. Um, just just one other thing on Ryder while we're talking about him. I just want us to get this in. I'm wondering if his form this week also has to do with his familiarity with the ground. So the last two weeks we had Fremantle out in the wind, Adelaide Oval, pretty windy, and then inside in a nice ground that he's very familiar with as an Essendon player. I'm just wondering if that was that familiarity was part of it or if he just actually prefers that kind of track. If he prefers yeah, that kind of track, that's actually really good for us because I think Lobby is much better outdoors. So that could mm. that could be another part of the partnership that could work out really well for us. Mm. I think they were saying too, like with the Frio game, it was his first game where he's actually come up and rucked a full game against Sanderlane. So it was a bit of a, a different challenge for him, sort of a new experience. Um, well, so. yes, yeah. But yeah, I, I like that uh, line of thinking. It is. I never thought of it from that way. So it is a. Mm. It, it would be a more familiar environment for him. So uh, it would make sense. And- but also the type of player he is. I mean, that fast track and, you know, no rain, um, no real wind, that's, that's pretty much suits mm. his game perfectly. Mm. Well, look, it, uh, it was round three. It was Port versus North Melbourne at Etihad Stadium in front of a pretty dismal crowd of just 22,000 people. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, which was pretty shocking. Apparently, it came up on the scoreboard that um, only 8,000 North Melbourne members um, turned up, which is uh, pretty pathetic, really. But I believe um, it. Yeah, well, that's it. Um, you know, Port came away with a fantastic eight-point victory. 17 goals, 11 to 16 goals, nine. Uh, Schultz was the star up forward with four goals, uh, with uh, three goals each to Ebert and White and two to Monfries. Um, Porsche, considering you were at the game, uh, do you want to give us a quick rundown of uh, what happened out there? Uh... <laughs> Not particularly, but I'll give it a crack. Um, pretty much, uh, yeah, it was, it was just a tight tussle the whole way through. Port had the dominance, I thought, early, but we were not really um, racking it up as well as we could have on the scoreboard. Um, and for the first half, I thought we kind of controlled the game, but just weren't capitalising, which is why North Melbourne was so close. Um, third quarter and fourth quarter, obviously, North Melbourne were a bit more in it. And the crowd did come alive when they were within a goal of us. Um, they were certainly um, suddenly appeared at that point because they're a very quiet crowd. I'm not used to that from North Melbourne. Um, but yeah, uh, and then obviously we just we just hung in there in the end. There was a bit of back and forth. But I, I honestly, I don't think there was a point at which I was not confident we could win. Um, even when North took the lead with Lindsay Thomas in the last quarter, it was still it still very, felt very much open and as if anything could happen. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, that kind of sums up the game. But obviously, you can do a much better actual summary of the game, Macker, if you'd like to. Um, please do. No, yours was fantastic. Where do you think, guys, uh, we improved from our first two rounds? Uh, quality of opponent. <laughs> yep. I think I think that's a huge part of it. Uh, and also, I just feel like the players are a bit more focused on what they're doing right now. Like the, I think the first round... Uh, the way we played, it just seemed like we didn't realise the regular season had started yet. And sometimes you get that. Um, it wouldn't be the first top four side to start a season, you know, not in great form um, <laughs> because you're thinking more about the other end of the season, but you still do actually have to win the games to get to that. But I think that was the main difference is just the quality of the opponent. Though North Melbourne, I wouldn't say they had quality on every line, not like a, not like um, Sydney and not like Fremantle. I'd say that there's a couple of areas where they're pretty dodgy. Um, like, I mean, they're still playing Ferrito, and Ferrito's a good tryer, but if he's in the side, then they're not that good. Um, I think that was he's their Tom part Logan. Of yeah, he's their Tom Logan. Exactly right. He, I mean, I like him as a player, and but I like Tom Logan as a player. But they're, yeah, they're, you're right. They're kind of equivalent in that respect. Um, yeah, I think that was most of it. But I think just gradually getting to work better and um, a bit of energy of uh, injection from someone like Cracker and uh, of course Archie in the last quarter. I think that was a a little bit of an edge for us that might have won us today. I'm with Paul. I'm with Porsche. I, I actually put it down to um, quality opponent as well. Uh, you know, it was sort of like we ran out with the sword held up to the sky and we yelled out charge, and that's what that was the game. I mean, it was a high intensity game, and uh, and the people that came on the boards and were, and Facebook and were saying that you know North Melbourne would be a good match up because they'll play uh, the similar attacking game I think that did work to our advantage compared to the lockdown Frio and Sydney um for me I guess uh, there was still a bit of a concern about our our midfield our our defense again held up strongly and uh, especially with our rebounding defenders but you know there was a fair portion of that third quarter there where all our prime ball movers just sort of disappeared from the start of the third through to probably close to the close to the end of that quarter and um you know against those better sides you you get punished um if you lose your, your prime movers like that and so yeah. I, I still think the team has um, some work they have to improve on 
Look, I thought, um, where do we improve from our first two rounds? I thought our forward structure was well improved. Um, I thought we showed really good form by our small forwards, and I mentioned them in the preview, um, their importance and how they had such a big game against them last year, but we weren't able to get across the line. I thought, um, once again on Saturday night, they really ran rings around their opponents. Um, it was great that Schultz was able to get into the game more. That was by far his best game so far this season. I really mm. liked our midfield as well, and, and I do understand and, and agree with you, Rick, um, that third quarter. And that's something that we've um, struggled with, uh, especially last year as well, um, especially in that uh, final minor round Frio game where we just um, you know, saw our midfield sort of break um, and, and really struggled to, uh, to find the bowl and, and, and get those clearances that we needed. But um, I thought it was great that we were able to turn it around and, and still uh, lead at three-quarter time. I thought that was important. And in the end, we won the clearances and the tackles. Um, I thought we worked a lot harder to, to, um, at the stoppages to win the bowl. Um, and also I thought we were better as a team outfit um, as opposed to just a group of individuals out there, which I, I kind of felt um, against Sydney that that was the way it was going. True. Um, one stat which I really like is um, against Brisbane the week before, North Melbourne took 15 contested marks. We kept them to zero on the weekend, which mm. I, I think considering the um, you know the size and, and the strengths of their forward line with Petrie and Brown and, and Waite, to keep them to no contested marks was a, was a fantastic effort. Uh, I, uh, see, this is, I'm going to argue about statistics now. Sorry. Um, no, that's all right. I'll explain my point a bit, bit better in a minute. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, no contested marks is great, but it wasn't a contested game for the most part. You know, there wasn't a lot of it there, um, because it is such a fast ground and because we didn't play real tight, certainly at the forward line and the back line, which is where you'd mostly take your contested marks. Um, I don't know. I think it just wasn't. I don't know that it was necessarily that we specifically shut down North Melbourne more than Brisbane did, but it was just a different game and a different ground, wasn't it? Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't think contested marks really says all that much necessarily. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> it's, it's not the contested marks itself. It's more the fact that I thought that our defence. Um, it was almost like watching us um, play in 2002-2004 again where we had that real team defence going. We had guys like Pittard and Jonas and Broadbent dropping back in front just like Montgomery and Chad Corns used to do all the time. Um, and they were able to shut down, um, I thought, a lot of North Melbourne's leads um, and were just able to kill the ball, which I thought was important. Yeah, um, I, I think that... When I was watching the ground, and they're playing it like most games get played these days where they don't fill the whole over, they just basically play within a radius of wherever the ball is. Um, and that sort of game, particularly in a ground where you're expecting fast play, and in fact we uh, actually set up for fast play by only having one Ruckman, um, you really are not going to get a huge amount of contested marks because there's space to run into all the time. I, I really come, think it comes down to the ground and how it was played and the match-ups more than... Yeah, the little bit of effort. But I agree, I agree absolutely that we played well as a defence. Um, there's no doubt. And I'm sure that someone like Drew Petrie would have loved to take contested marks. But, you know, like Ben Brown, he was actually quite surprising. But he didn't need to take contested marks. He just was yeah. taking marks, you know. Um, yeah. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> what do you reckon, Rick? I do, I, do like, I do like that team-orientated observation, Macker. I did feel like the, la- the last two weeks before we... Uh, we seem to be playing, waiting for someone to come up with a cameo to break the game open, whereas, uh, um, yeah, Saturday night, it didn't seem like that was the case. Everyone was just doing their, their team part, and uh, 
So mm. I would agree with that. I think that's a a good observation on on the difference between the first two and this week. But again, I'll, I'll just go back to I, I do agree with Porsche. I think if uh, if we were up against Sydney or Freo, I'm not convinced that. Well, maybe Freo because we're a bit unlucky there. But definitely our performance against Sydney, I don't think. Uh, if we played like that, we still would have won. We we really need to take a look at our structures and everything with that better side. And I guess Hawthorne's going to be our our test this week, which we'll talk about on uh, on Thursday. Um, just on the team play thing, though, um, there was one difference that I did notice between this week and Sydney was that, and I, you'll be pleased with this one, Rick, it's a positive Jasper Pittard moment, which was against uh, hmm. Sydney. I very distinctly recall one time Pittard going for the switch and then they show the up the ground field and no one's bothered to run across to make it an option. So that is terrible because what should be happening is that, you you know, you broadband or your Pittard or whoever in defence that's trying to make a play and that's clear they're going to switch, then every player up the field should be thinking where do I need to be and start running to position and create an option. And against Sydney, we didn't see that. I, I felt that that was something where we were missing and I guess it's probably one of the areas... Um, you know, it's been hinted that Ken Hinckley during the week uh, gave people a few um, pretty stern words, and I think that was probably part of it. And I think this week we're really good at it. Um, when we went to switch, um, people upfield actually got in position to actually make that worthwhile. So that was that was I think that was a big improvement from Sydney, um, and certainly I think that's where we lost it last week. Um, so yeah, the team play playing for each other and taking the lead from someone you, that's got the ball. You might be able to answer this, um, Porsche, because you're at the game. I, mm. I'm going to ignore Al. I'm not ignoring him because I'm actually bringing up his name, but he's saying we've got short memories about the number of fans going to a game. I think Al might be a bit grumpy tonight, uh, Macca, and But Alex <laughs> has pointed out a, a, Alex has got a good well, point. Well, it's he, true. He's we asked, did. Uh, we look, did. I, I've got to say that was not the worst attended North Melbourne game I've been to. I was at, I think it was in, what, 2002 or something, the North Melbourne versus Port Adelaide game at the SCG um, on uh, Reconciliation Day, when everyone in Sydney was walking across the bridge for Aboriginal reconciliation, and I reckon there was 7,000 people there. So as North Melbourne crowds versus Port Adelaide go, this was actually a pretty good crowd, and I suppose in that respect we should actually say, yeah, good on you, North Melbourne. But I did wonder if we should have brought out the tarps for them. <laughs> has, um, has Travis Boak played himself into form? That's what... Hale, Alex Hale wants to know, or and was he tagged at the game? Because Bokey did come into it in the last quarter, but the first two and a half, he was pretty quiet. Ah, uh, look, I'm not really all that good at watching the midfield things unless it's on the TV. So uh, Mac might have more of an idea there, but um, I think Boke will suffer again if, with wines out next week for sure. I think it was really well held um, in the first sort of two and a half quarters, as you said, Rick. And, and Robbie Gray as well. You can probably add him into that mix as well. But their last quarters were incredible, really. And look, hopefully that um, that does play Travis Boak back into his uh, his best form. And look, I think Robbie Gray's had a really good um, you know start to the season as well, playing as that pure midfielder. Um, but you know he was definitely down on a Saturday night. But that last quarter was as good as any. I, I think that one of the things that's important to keep in mind when the, the you know the gold midfielders are being tagged is breaking their tags is not just about their own performance, but it's about us proving that we have other options that the opposition also need to man up on. Um, and I think in that respect, this week would have helped Boke out a fair bit, just seeing that we do have some other options and other ways of getting the ball up the ground rather than necessarily relying on the skipper because it means if you're over-relying on shutting down one player, you'll get killed and... You know, I mean, we've been on the other end of that equation a number of times, certainly back when Port entered the AFL and we were trying to 
match up on, you know, Harvey and St- again, North Melbourne against um, Brent Harvey and Anthony Stevens and all of that at once, said that you'd shut down one, but then, you know, the next one would pop up. And so you'd have to have some measure to stop all of them or at least restrict all of them rather than just focus on one player like everyone does on Gary Ablett Jr. every week. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it, just that team thing, uh, providing other options, but also just helping Boki to lose his tag. And I guess that's probably the area in the first three quarters where we definitely maybe could have done more. Um, I just wonder how much comes down to the team not... We've got a new midfield coach, I guess, and we've got a new Ruckman and everyone needs to learn how they will play together. So I guess that's part of it as well. I think the important mm. thing is that we've got options and we've had options yeah. for a little while now, but, you know, Boki and Gray were well down in the first half, but, you know, Ebert had a massive first half. He was oh, incredible yeah. out there. Brody had a huge first half. Uh, Jasper Pittard had a huge first half. I thought Hamish Hartlett was really, really good as well. Mm. Um, you know, it's important for these other players to stand up, and I thought they did. And, and of course, Aaron Young, who, um, who yeah. possibly had a bit of a breakout game for him. And, waiting you know, for that. do we see him becoming a bit of a mainstay in the side now? Uh, look, hopefully. Um, he's certainly going to be second-tier midfield for a while until he shows he can do that on a regular basis. But... Um, like you just mentioned, Ebert was fantastic. Hartley was pretty good, and it's those guys playing well that's going to make the tag on someone like Boak or Gray looser. So, yeah, um, but no, they did play really well. And Ebert, it was really great that he got the um, that sort of a performance in his milestone game as well. That's just a really nice touch. Yep. Mm. Yeah, he had, a, he had a huge game, um, Brett Ebert. And, uh, yeah, I thought Young was all right. What did you guys think of Cracker? Did he uh, add value to our side? I thought he was fantastic. Yep. Yeah. I, I really loved his play because um, he just kept going. It was really good to see. Obviously, this is one thing that really occurred to me when I watched the um, singing of the song on the TV after the game, which was that Nathan Cracker was in the middle again. And I guess I might have had a misconception about what that meant, being in the middle after a win. Like I just always thought it was like a welcome to Port Adelaide thing. But this is the second time that Cracker's been in there. And I guess it's almost kind of like a baptism, like it's a cleansing of sins, you know, to be born again in the light of Alberton sort of thing. Um, and I really feel that that was kind of how Cracker played. And he's playing like a desperate person, but with the maturity to know what he needs to do. I think we could expect some really, I, I think that he's gone through the ringer. Um, I think we could expect him to just really be a, a fantastic player as a character. And in defence, it's all about character. Um, I'm really excited about Nathan Cracker being back, quite honestly. I've got huge raps on it and I hope to see more of it because I think that, look, it's one of the great football stories is when someone sort of loses their way and uh, they come back having learnt from it. I, I very much relate to that personally. Um, yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing more crack. I'll tell you what... They've been smooth, the smoothest running team we'd have if we got NPN Cracker in the same side because they both mm. just look like natural ball-running players and, you know, with Pittard and Broadbent as well, my God, they'd be fantastic in that defensive uh, setup. Well, I guess, I mean, you can't, you can't play them all in defence. So I guess is the question I've got now is um, if you do play Impey and Brook Cracker, who of our current halfback flanker types would you actually try and convert into a quasi midfielder? Would it be Broadbent or Pittard maybe, or, or who? I mean, Pittard got a good goal on the well, weekend. Maybe I, I, Pittard. I think you can you could ro- you could rotate either Pittard or Broadbent. I think you could probably rotate Broadbent as a uh, bit of an inside uh, midfielder. 
and uh, you could rotate Pittard as an outside uh, uh, winger, uh, so okay. to speak. Because, uh, I mean, we've trialled Broadbent as an inside midfielder in the past and even in the pre-season when he was captain, and he's got yeah. that body size to be able to take the impact now. I don't think he's been convincing as an inside midfielder, but I think he no. could do it for, um, uh, for short bursts and change-ups if we need to. Would you consider using him in that option with Ollie Wines out? Uh, I'd actually like to see if Andrew Moore isn't rubbed out for his aggressive, disgusting tactics towards umpires. Um, yeah, I'd like to see Andrew Moore get first gig first, I think, and back him in. Uh, that was a joke, by the way. Okay. No one's laughing. I'm laughing. <laughs> no, yeah? Mac is laughing on the inside. The cr- I am. Where's yeah. the crickets? Yeah. What do you reckon, <laughs> Mac? Would you agree with, with that? I'd almost rather see Jonas move into the midfield. Oh, interesting. I think he uh, could be that sort of new age tagger um, to take over from um, from Kane Corns. He's different to Kane, though. Like, he's got a bit of more physicality to him, I think. Not, not that mm. I'm saying Kane's not, doesn't, you know, go in hard or anything, but I think that Jonas can probably throw his weight around a bit more than Kane. Yeah. Uh, does he have the endurance? I think know. so. I don't he's played midfield before. He played midfield for Nord. He's played um, tagging roles in the past. Oh, yeah. Who was it he shut down last year, really? Well? Was it Hodge? Uh, Murphy. I'm yeah. not thinking Hodge or and Mitchell. He's done the job it? on Steve Johnson. Yeah. He's done the job on Hodge. Uh, in his first yeah, game, Hodge, I think yeah. he got Luke Hodge. So, yeah. I reckon he's. Um, I reckon he'd make it. Um, he'd be a pretty good chance to make it as a, uh, as a tagger. Like Interesting. Time tagger. Plus, I think then you would be able to fit Impey and Cracker in the same team. Plus, still have um, that real attacking halfback flank in uh, in Pittard <coughs> and Broadbent. But you've also got that option there of you know if they you know if things aren't going right, you can still move Jonas down back. Yeah, or or vice versa. If the Jonas is not getting a good hold of his opponent, you can swap him in for one of the defenders that's accountable, like Impey, for example. Yeah. Mm. Now, Cracker was great. I thought he had a fantastic game. He, his first attack of the bowl was probably a little bit off, and I think that caused a goal. But outside of that, mm. um, the thing that really impressed me was just how hard he went at the footy. I mean, there was a couple of occasions where he was almost kamikaze-like and throwing yep. his body in. And it was even mentioned by the commentators on the TV that um, you know he was going 100%. And you know that's completely different to the Nathan Cracker that we used to see uh, back in the Choco Williams era. So... How long is he going to stay in the side this time round? I guess it depends on when Billy Frampton comes back and, and is fit. So might be mm. another three or four weeks. Does he stay in the side when Impey comes back? I'm not too sure. Um, but look, I think there's a lot to like there with Nathan Cracker and he, he definitely deserves uh, more of a go. I definitely want to have a really good reason to drop him from the side right now. I think there's no doubt he stays in the side this week because you look at Hawthorne's team and you know that they've got Brad Hill, they've got Hartung, they've got uh, Luke Bruce, Sean Burgoyne, Puapolo, Rioli, Smith, who are all really, really quick. So we need Cracker out there this week, I think. Mm, yep. Uh, Brendan Archie, how did we see his game? The Arch! His handball. I'll, I'll let Our buddy, first. Brendan Archie. Our buddy, he was a ripper. I, I loved it. I thought his pressure and aggression was great and... I reckon everyone needs to get on board the uh, the Archie bandwagon. Even though I said me and Timmy agreed last week that we probably wouldn't have played him, I I was glad to see him uh, play, and uh, I thought he did did great guns. And we spoke about his handballing uh, during the week on the forums, and uh, Ford dug out an old thread I remember, and 
God, how good was it? Perfect. Chin point. Yeah, it was look, a good um, he, I think Brendan was a, had a really good first game. It would have been nice if he'd been on a bit early, but if he had, he might not have had the same impact. But uh, mm. you'll take a lot away from that. I don't know if he'll play next week. I guess I guess he might with wines out needing to cover or something. I don't know. But yeah, it was a really good first up go, and that handball is unique, certainly at Port Adelaide. And I might even if he can keep up that kind of. Um, handballing to space to someone on the run uh, technique that he showed and that he showed in highlights before. I mean, he could be unique in the AFL for that ability. I don't think I can think of any other player that would match that if he can do that consistently. Um, I think it's hard for a player, especially a first gamer, to come into that sort of game and make an impact. Normally they look a little bit lost out there, a little bit um, unsure of themselves, but he stood up under pressure and that was great. Yeah. I mean, he didn't accumulate a massive amount of ball, but I, I thought his... He didn't uh, need to. No, his inside 50 pressure was fantastic and uh, really sort of continued on the work from Ollie Wines, who, who had nine tackles in the game before he went in, off injured. And, uh, you know, he did the little one percenters, the blocking and the, the harassing, which is uh, what we wanted to see. And uh, I was quite happy. I, I'm not sure if he's going to get a game or not this week or... If Kane and uh, might push him out, and is Loby going to be back this week, or is there still doubts over over his uh, still return? doubts? I think. Yeah. So, you think Andrew Moore, if he doesn't get sight uh, reported, will probably be uh, a bit of a lot to uh, to come back? I would imagine. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he might be, but if we, if we, if if Lobby is fit, then and we bring in at all, then maybe we just drop wines and then don't bring in a replacement for wines directly. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. Mm. I don't know. Look, before we move on, I just want to give a, a big shout-out to Matty White, who I thought had one of the best games I've seen him play when you do an ankle and you're still able to kick three goals and run as fast as he did. I thought that was ridiculous out there on Saturday night. Yeah, absolutely. He was really good. Um it's a shame in some respects that he played so well because he played really well, but just not quite as well as a bunch of other players. So we haven't really talked about him much. And I think Ebert's a little bit in that same boat too. Um, we were just so amazed by some of the performances we saw, but he was solid. He's been a solid player for us since he came over from Richmond, which, um, you know, a lot better than Chris Nash when he came over from Richmond. He's just actually come to the side and been good from day one. So uh, no, it's been really good. Uh, yeah. I'm very, very pleased with his um, career at Port Adelaide, not just this game. Look, let's move on and talk about the Maggies. Um, it was round three in the SANFL as well, and Port Adelaide played North Adelaide uh, in a pretty early game at 12pm um, at Alberton on Saturday and came away with a, a pretty comfortable 38-point win in front of a a reasonably poor crowd. Who was um, had some of the players that we're talking about as potentially coming in? How was anyone there that sort of demanded a game in the near future, or just a all played okay game? Look, Paul Stewart, who's been on the fringe, I think um, a lot of people would like to see him in the side. He was probably best on ground. He had 31 touches, 13 marks, kicked a goal. He was everywhere in that sort of freewheeling, um, sort of mid wingman role that he uh, performed so utility. well at. at uh, yeah, utility. Um, you know, Andrew Moore was uh, was also very good, and you know he did what he does best at SANFL level, which is win the hard bowl, kicked a couple mm. of goals. But we might as well talk about it now. He pushed an umpire. Um, it didn't look like much, but honestly, if 
in this day and age, you can't understand that you're not allowed to touch umpires. I don't know where you go from there. Yeah, but what was he doing? It, uh, to me, like the replay, it sort of looked like he was trying to show the umpire what he was doing, but there was hardly any pressure in that movement. Surely that's not a uh, more than a like a slap on the wrist fine. It'd be ridiculous if he got rubbed out for that. Uh, I look, I, I get games. I, I, this is one of the areas where I don't have an issue with him getting games because it's really important to have that respect and that separation for umpires. Um, I, I don't have an issue with it if he, if he does get a game. And it hurts and it's really annoying. And certainly the timing of him actually missing, potentially missing a game with wines out is tragic in that respect. But I think it's one of those things where it's really important to have that clear distinction between umpires and everyone else, which is not to say umpires are being elevated, but just because that they're doing a different job and they need to be recognise basically, you know, like a piece of the furniture that you don't stuff around with it, like you don't go up and, you know, shake the point post as we've seen, what, one time the cross, has it been Hart that did it or something like that? Shaking mm. the goalpost. Um, you just don't do that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't have a real issue with it. And if you, if you say there was not really much in it, well, maybe there was much in it, but he should know not to do it. We've, no, we've, seen, other, we've seen other players get suspended for doing a lot less to umpires over the last sort of eight to ten years. And mm. it's just something that, you know, you know you're not allowed to touch an umpire. If you touch an umpire, you risk getting reported slash suspended. So it was a stupid thing to do, particularly with wines out of the side now. Um, and look, Andrew Moore probably would have been odds on to come back into the team on that basis, I think. So if he, yeah. misses, um, if he misses out now, you know... Andrew Moore's still not a, a sure thing at AFL level. He shouldn't be doing this sort of thing. Well, it's, maybe it's because he's doing the sort of thing that we don't necessarily think he's mentally there for AFL level. Mm. Well, fair mm. point too. Well, Sammy Cahoon also had a very good game um, playing across the half-back line. He picked up a lot of the ball. Um, it's great to see him out there again. Um, Darcy Byrne-Jones really impressed me with his hardness at the bowl and, and the contest. You know, just like Nathan Cracker did at AFL level, I thought uh, Byrne-Jones um, did similar at the SANFL game where he just threw himself into the contest and copped a couple of really big hits and uh, and just got up and kept on going, which was great. So just back on Cahoon, um, obviously he's played a little bit of AFL, but uh, as far as the role he's playing at the Magpies, would you say there's a certain position that they're grooming him for in doing that? Or is it just that they want to get him get games in him while he develops? I think at the moment they're just trying to get games and, and get him match fit again. Um, yeah. He's playing the same role that we saw him play back when he was fit a couple of years ago, that sort of loose halfback flanker, um, yeah, quarterback, I guess you'd call it, which is kind of what mm. Broadbent's been doing. Yeah. Um, so I assume that they're they're grooming him to be able to fill in if uh, if Broadbent either moves up the ground or is injured. I uh, I'm kind of a little bit worried about that because we just talked about how you know we've got Broadbent and Pittard that can sort of do that role, and we're also talking about how we've got you know Impey that's a good attacking defender, and we're now looking at Broad at um, Cracker as well. Is it fair to uh, Cahoon to be training him in a position where he's fifth in the depth chart? But I think that's the position that he plays. He, and he's such yeah. a net... I mean, Timmy G summed sure. it up perf- perfectly the other day where he said, you know, you've got this awful problem. You just know how to get the ball. Yeah, And mm. he's coming back off a knee injury and what, in his second game, and he's already racking up mid-20 possessions. I mean, the guy's just a ball magnet. It's amazing. And he, yeah. He can, 
you know, it's so who knows where, and he's still young, so we don't have to uh, pigeonhole him as a uh, you know as a floating defender. I mean, he might he might take over Kane's role as a as oh, a yeah. tagger. Look, I'm That's not I'm not against possible. that. But I'm just sort of wondering mm. if, in, if at some level, you know, now that at the moment, like right now, and certainly for the rest of this year, it would appear pretty clear that he won't get a game in that position. But it's also useful for all players to have some versatility in the position they play because, number one, it gives them more chance of getting in the side. And number two, we don't know what injuries we're going to get, so we need to have, you know, at least some options for different positions. So I'm just wondering whether it's necessarily to his favour to have him playing in a role that he's played previously and he's already pretty comfortable with. He's been around for a couple of years now. Is this the time that we say, okay, now we need you to start playing more half forward so that we know that that's an option or the, or indeed playing as a tag or even if it's at a SNFL level, playing as an accountable midfielder um, rather than sort of racking up the touches necessarily? I'm just wondering if that's something that we should be doing for his development or if there's a reason why we just keep him doing the same sort of thing he's doing because he's coming back from injury. You're going to tread slowly in the beginning, I would imagine. Okay. And- and just let him find his feet and something that he's comfortable with, and uh, and then you'll just take it from there. That's how I would. Uh, that's how I would play it out with uh, Sammy. But then, what would I know? Well, I, I don't on, know. I, I sit on a squeaky chair. Ah, oh, well, yeah. Logan Austin was another one that I want to bring up. Um, he played across the back line, sort of centre-half back, full-back, and he was outstanding. I mean, he's got definite AFL potential, um, in my opinion, and his partnership with Tommy Cleary was, was pretty good. I think Cleary, um, his opponent got away from him a little bit um, at times, but, I mean, Austin, he's very similar to Trengove in that he looks he's deceptively stronger than what he looks. Um, he's... You know, he needs to build up his upper body a little bit, but he's got a massive kick on him. He reads the play super well. Um, and I think he can definitely play AFL, AFL in the next couple of years. Uh, I think that Logan Austin, I mean, you don't... It's one of the things you can see with, like, you know, draftees is whether they have the potential, like, not necessarily what they build is now, but if they have the potential to bulk up and be AFL standard. And, like, you take someone like Hugh Minson, like, he was never going to bulk up and be an AFL standard ruckman, really. He was just no. too narrow-shouldered, too frail in frame. It was just not going to work. He was not going to instantly turn into Will because Will's built completely differently. Um, but with Logan, you can, I agree, you can definitely see that he's got that potential to, you know, be a... A real, I suppose we've used it before, a real guerrilla um, footballer, you know, really good KPP potentially. Um, there is one thing I've got a query for out of that though, Macca, is Tom Cleary um, performing not all that well. How do we feel about his development? Do we think he's progressing really? And do we sort of think that maybe he might be one of the players that ends up being shopped around a little bit towards the end of the year? I thought he played well. Um... His opponent kicked three goals, but he was a lot stronger than what Cleary is. I think there's definitely... I think Cleary's probably a player that might seek more game time elsewhere, just because he's... Mm. Has his development stalled? Maybe it has. You know, maybe it has. Maybe he does need to play AFL to get the best out of himself. Um, Mm. And at the moment, with Homsch and Trengove and Carlisle absolute locks in the team, it's Mm. hard to see him breaking in and getting regular AFL time as a key defender. I mean, yeah. we've heard in the preseason that they were trialling him. You know, he was training with the midfield group and, you know, his, his running numbers are outstanding and he's as fit as any other player at the club. So maybe that's an option. But again, you know, then he's, you know, what, you know, well down the list of sort of midfield, um, you know, on, on the depth rank chart as well. So Yeah, I, I, he's one player. He's an, that... he's an awkward player at the moment. 
it's hard to see where he fits in, and I want him to fit in, but it, it's hard to see where he does. I look. I think that he's sort of in that peak trading range, which sounds a bit harsh to say at this point in the season, but he is because he was pretty well rated as a junior, not fantastic, but well enough. You know, Troy Chaplin quality junior, um, and he it doesn't seem to have a place at Port Adelaide. But also, I don't think we would lose too much if he left. Um, I don't know that he's going to make it. I think he just doesn't get it. You know, the way when I've seen him play, he just doesn't seem to know what's going on to the extent that you would want a, a key position player to understand what's going on. Um, and I don't know if you can teach that. So, yeah, hopefully he proves me wrong because it's obviously it's nice to have as many good options as possible. But Clary, I don't know. I'd be interested in getting an update later on the year and how he's going for sure. Definitely. Um, He's definitely one of those players we're talking about where you might want to trial him in different roles to see where uh, he ends up. And um, yeah, I think he shows potential, but I'm not convinced that he's really a lockdown defender either, though. No, I don't know what he is. Mm. That's the uh, the million dollar question. Does he know what he is? No, that's clear from how he plays. Mm. But you'd have to think Paul Stewart would have to be pretty close to a game as well, especially if Andrew Moore gets rubbed out. Um, I think he's been fantastic this pre-season and the starting season of the SANFL and really deserves an opportunity. Uh, He does. (laughs) Don't sound too convincing, guys. I'm not enthused about him as a player. I think that, you know, I don't think he should still be on the list. Um, because I think that he spent a long time... I think it's a little bit of Tom Clary. I guess that's what I think about it, is that he doesn't seem to... Although he's a bit better than that, in that he tries pretty hard, but he doesn't seem to really get it to the same extent that, you know, his peers do. Um, And I just don't know. I think he's taken it easy in the past. Hopefully he's picked up his pace and he's doing a lot better and, you know, he's free of injury and everything else. And maybe he'll come on the side and be really good, but I just don't see it. I think he's... You know, just because we drafted him and we drafted him fairly early, um, it doesn't mean he hasn't just turned into the next Tom Logan. You know, and not again, not dissing Tom Logan, but that he's someone that can perform extremely well at SNFL level, but at AFL level, you know, he's just sort of on the outer. And maybe bring him in, but do you bring him in as an actual wines replacement? Because if you're choosing between him and more for that sort of role, I'd choose more every week. And if I can't choose more, I'd be tempted to try a different setup anyway. I don't know. I'm not convinced. It'll take convincing for me. I'll, I'll be sceptical on this one for sure. He's the perfect depth player. We we kept him on for this exact reason, is that he's excellent at SANFL level. He's always going to be around the mark. Hopefully he can come in and do a job if we need him to. Yeah, but if we need him to, then we're probably in a bad way. Like we've had lots of injuries and it's going to be struggling to hold on to a position that we're in. Look, we might leave it there for tonight. On a little bit over time. But Just that's okay. So, uh, look, once again, everyone listening out there, thank you for tuning into the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast um, and for tweeting in your questions as well. Um, you can hear us again on Thursday night at 8pm uh, um, where we will preview two massive games of Port against uh, Hawthorne and Nord this week. Um, also, remember to tune in to uh, Port Fan Radio Tuesday night, which is tomorrow at 8pm for a brand new show called 1870 Hour, which is all about remembering those sort of classic moments and memories and and uh, footy players and, and matches that make the Port LA Footy Club what it is. Yes, exciting. Looking forward to it too. I might be a, a temporary guest for that one, Macca. Oh, wow. There you go. 
Unless you're, you want to. You are everywhere, Rick. I am. <laughs> I am Rick everywhere. Not Eddie, he, but Rick everywhere. He's like the community radio uh, Eddie McGuire. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say Stephen Ray, but look, Eddie McGuire works as well. So. Oh, no, Stephen! Okay. Oh, come on! I mean, it's nice to have a go at Rick occasionally, but Stephen Ray—that's a bit rough, you know. But as Strike far as I'm aware, pink. as far as I'm aware, Rick's never actually accused umpires of being corrupt before. So you know, I—I I think that that's a long boat to call. I just—I have a better choice of words. Oh, than okay. Stephen. No, that's but... not hard. Stephen Ray's got about four, so that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, this is only a this is a short term because uh, Nick, one of the co-hosts, is overseas. I think so. Uh, I'll be fi- I'll be filling in for Nick unless you want to fill in for me, Macca. No, all good, mate. I'm uh, I'm busy. Tomorrow. You probably remember more than what I do, and you probably were only eight. Probably, yep. Because we're going to chat about 1989, and I guess That's don't nice. forget as well. We've got that um, competition. As well, that's still up for grabs. So if people subscribe uh, to the mailing list for Port Fan Radio, they uh, go in the draw to win those two lounge tickets to join and me and you and watch us eat and drink at Port v Richmond, and we might let them get one in if we're not too greedy. How wonderful! Yeah, but I am pretty. <laughs> You're really selling this, mate. I know. <laughs> I've seen you eat and drink. It's not pretty. <laughs> it's not pretty. No, it's not. It's, it's horrible. <laughs> but it's exciting when there's free alcohol exciting. on the line. Free booze. Free Let food. me add it. I'm can't there. go wrong. Free Macca. Can't go wrong, mate. That's right. Macca will talk port for hours. And it's a good it's spot. It. Look, I've got a final question, and it's to Porsche. Oh, good. Are we ever going to see you on the forums again? Oh, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, I... I got in that stupid little argument towards the end and in discussion for a message, it was sort of pointed out to me that there's a lot of people in the world that are stupid and don't want to change. And I just thought, why am I talking to people that are like that? I, that's the worst part for me is if you want to kill me having any enthusiasm about anything, it's kill my hope. So I'm, I'm trying to get it back. I'll probably <laughs> be back at some point. But um, yeah, I just, yeah, not for now. Not for now. Fair enough. Fair Good way. We look forward mm-hmm. to your return one day. Stay yeah. true. Probably. And if not, then we'll have you back on the podcast anyway. So. Yeah, sounds good. I like these. It's 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 pretty easy. And, you know, as much as I have a go at Rick, he's actually reasonably intelligent and so are you, Macca. So it's always oh, fun. Oh, oh. Oh. Thanks. I know. It's a real compliment. And if you want to... You can come back some... every week if you're going to talk like that. All right, peeps. Okay. Until next time. Can't pull out, Macca. Can the power. Go, Jasper.